chapter 3, verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than what is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now last night we touched on the wheel that the Lord created, that He used the reformers to consolidate and fashion into that wheel that we call the five solas of the Reformation. And before we move into them, before we actually spend time looking at them, let us first establish in our hearts and in our minds, but most of all in our hearts, that the five solas are not the gospel. The gospel, the gospel is the truth that the glory of God is demonstrated in the sacrifice of His Son on behalf of those that He has chosen, that He has predestined to be His bride. That is the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the covenant of God. The covenant between God and God, through God, and even for God being made manifest in his, to His created, in His image, beings known as humans. To be even more clear, God reconciled Himself through His Son, Jesus. But Jesus did not die for all humans. He died for His bride, specifically, Ephesians 5.25. Jesus, Jesus said in speaking to those religious atheists that were around him in those days, those that had manufactured God to be as they determined him to be, he said to them, For no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me, and at the last day I will raise them up, John 6.44. And the truth and the reality of the gospel is laid out for all eternity in John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. He came to His own people, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Before we can move forward, we have to be sure, in our own minds, from Scripture, is this truth or not? And is this what the Bible teaches or not? Is this what Jesus believed or not? We need to have that assurance in our mind that this is truth. Well, providentially, we're given John chapter 3 to prove that it is. John chapter 3 now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do the things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. And there, there's the setup to this, this conversation between Jesus and this religious man. A man who thinks that he understands. A man who is told to us as being the teacher of Israel. That man came to Jesus for him, Jesus, to affirm that Nicodemus was right in his theology. And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What he tells him is, Nicodemus, you're wrong. And there's the awful reality of the gospel. Man can't do this. Man cannot attain to this. And in fact, if any man even desires it, that, that has to be a work of God in and of itself. 
which the reaction of Nicodemus proves. He said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, and I say again, I've told you this over and again, is that when you see Jesus say, truly, truly, it is the same as in the Old Covenant when the prophet said, thus saith the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which has been born of the flesh is flesh, and that which has been born of the Spirit is spirit. And there, there, Jesus has laid out the dividing line. This is the standard for all who would claim salvation, reconciliation with God. There is no other way. There is no other means. And then the Lord uses something that we can all understand to demonstrate this reality. He he uses the natural to explain the supernatural. He says, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you don't know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. And then Jesus tells us the awful truth once again. No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Verses 13 through 15. And there, there is the awful truth. And when I say awful, I mean awful in the correct sense of the word, full of awe. There is a way, there is salvation, there is reconciliation between us sinful beings and God. And the awful truth of the salvation of God, as explained to Nicodemus on that night, caused John to then, in adoration to the Lord, to then pen verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the question is, do you believe this? Do you believe this as truth? Do you know this to be true? And have you publicly confessed it? Has the Spirit of God blown blown on you in such a way that you can see that you have committed treason against God that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. And do you see Jesus as that Savior, that salvation? If so, know that God has set His love on you. And you, in response and recognition to that truth, must obey your Lord. You're commanded to. You must confess with your mouth. You must believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. And then you must follow Him in His death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And this truth is given to us in Acts 2, verse 38. Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that is talking about, that is not a second blessing, that is talking about being saved. And if you, are, if you have done that, then you are already alive in Him. And you are to live in Him in obedience to Him, which is His Word. And this is the Gospel. 
And the Reformation was all about the gospel. The Reformation, if you will, was a reforming of the church that Jesus birthed on the day of Pentecost in AD 33. It was all about stripping away all those man-made traditions and man-made religious rites and activities from the gospel. Just as he had done with the birth of the church to begin with. Because the Jews had had already the covenants of God. They, they knew of the coming Messiah. They should have known. They should have known. And those that were of him when Jesus revealed himself to them through the Spirit, they did know. And then they stripped away the man-made traditions of the, um, from the gospel, just as the Reformers did. And when the Reformers, when they stripped it away, they set the lion of the word of God loose. And when that happened, the five solas was revealed as a wheel that the gospel filled, that the gospel turned. And just for historical accuracy, none of the Reformers, hear me on this, none of the Reformers actually condensed Christianity, orthodoxy into the five solas. There is no ecumenical council that we can point to and find them lined out. They're not like the canons of Dort that came out of the synod of Dort of 1619. The five solas were developed in the late 1800s as a shorthand way of condensing the teachings of the Bible that the reformers had held as the hallmarks of Christianity. The teachings were revealed once the Bible was once again handed back to the people, the people that it was intended for. And by the way, just for clarity's sake, so that we all have this in our minds again, when you read the Bible, don't think all people, because this Bible is not written for all people. This Bible is written to the bride of Christ. So when... All, when you see all in the Bible, is talking about all of the bride, not all humanity. It's a love letter from your groom, from the lover of your soul to you. And if you think of the five solas as wheels on a spoke, then this is the first spoke of the five solas wheel. Sola Scriptura. And in, that's in the Latin. And we of the Reformed persuasion, we like to use Latin because it, well, it sounds kind of cool. So, but in any language, it still means the same thing. Scripture alone, sola in the Latin means alone in English. To clarify though, we don't believe that the Bible is the only thing that you need for all things. You can't live on the Word of God alone. You must have other things like food, and water, and air, gravitational pull, the radiation shield surrounding our planet that's called the ozone layer. You need carbon, phosphates, potassium dehydrated monoxide, which is water. You need the Van Allen belt. You need having Jupiter and the moon run interference for us as well. We need those things. But when we use the term Scripture alone, what we mean is that Scripture alone is the authoritative guide. It's authoritative for all faith and practice for the Christian. We mean that we must surrender our wills, our lives, 
in all matters to the authority of the Word of God, which is the Bible. That the Bible has authority over all life and practices, not only of Christians, of you individually, but of the church corporately as well. This sounds cool. I mean, it sounds even right. I mean, sola scriptura. Even the words, they, they just seem, they sound so, well, biblical, so religious. But again, is this true? Because, you see, the Roman Catholics, the Eastern Orthodox Church, they say that sola scriptura, that's heresy. And there's at least three denominations who call themselves Christians that oppose this, that sola as well, sola scriptura. The Methodists, the Anglicans, the Pentecostals, those three denominations, they hold to what they call as prima scriptura, the primacy of Scripture. They say they hold that Scripture must be used alongside of tradition and reason. And if you're Methodist, they throw in an additional need, experience. If you want to know what it is, what God wants you to do as a Christian, you must have all four of those things. And for those three denominations, they hold that Scripture is the primary source and standard for Christian doctrine, for Christians living but it must be taken alongside of tradition. And tradition, what they say is, is experience and the witness of development and growth in the faith through the past centuries in many cultures and uh, nations. And you must filter that through experience, personal experience. Experience is an individual's understanding and appropriating of faith in the light of, of their own life. And then you must do that through reason as well. And the individual Christian brings to bear on Christian faith discerning cognitive thought. In other words, what you actually think. And those four elements taken together bring then the individual, those individual Christians, to a mature and fully understanding of the Christian faith and what is required of them in, in worship and service. And now you can understand why they are as they are. But are they right? Is sola scriptura right? Does the Bible actually say that you must use scripture alone? Well, if you hold to sola scriptura, you're going to be kind of disappointed when, I, when you find out that it's not in the Bible. When you find out that the Bible does not say sola scriptura, but it's, it definitely is shown to us many times throughout Scripture, though. Such as 2 Peter 2.3. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in full knowledge of Jesus Christ and of, our, uh, of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the full knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. He has given us everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. And in speaking of that life, that life there that he's talking about is not talking about mortality. That's not biblical life. The life that Peter is talking about is the life found in Christ alone. And Peter said, he said, For we did not make known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, following cleverly devised myths, but being eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. 
And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have, as a, and I'm sorry, so Peter was there on the mountain when God the Father said, this is my beloved son. And then he goes on to say, we have a more sure and prophetic word to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes by one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by the will of man, but men being moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 2 Peter 1, 16-21. And I want to stop there just to make sure that you understand what God just said to us. And again, this is not a man saying this to us. Peter didn't say this to us. He was the instrument that wrote it down. God is saying this to us. And what he just said is Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is God. He is the only begotten Son of God. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is in whose image that we are being conformed into. And yet, and yet, and yet, God tells us that as good as His physical incarnation was and is, the Word of God is a more sure and prophetic Word. It is the means by which we can know more fully all those things that pertain to life and godliness. And we're given warnings in the Bible about messing with and tampering with Scripture. We're told very specifically that we're not, add, that we're not to add to or take away from Scripture in places such as Deuteronomy 4.2, Deuteronomy 12.32, Matthew 23.4, and in Revelation 22.18 and 19, which tells us, I bear witness to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. So no, sola scriptura is not spe specifically stated in the Bible. But neither is the Trinity. But in asking this question, and it is a very good question, we should be asking questions like that. It causes us to then once again spin the wheel of the five solas and points us to another one of the solas. Sole Deo Gloria. The glory of God alone. It's on this sola that all the rest of the solas spin. And because of this, we must first determine why we are here. You must again, in your own mind, in your own heart, understand why you were created. Why did God create us? Who and what were we created for? Because in our fallen state, the answer to that question is really easy to determine. In our fallen state, that answer of why we are created? Me. We're created for ourselves. And if you don't think this is true, all you have to do is watch a little child. Just watch a child. Just to see how much we love ourselves. No parent has ever had to teach their children how to, to say the word mine. <laughs> Ever. So is this then the reason that we are here? Is it, is if so, if so, if we are here just for our best life now, for us, get everything that we possibly can, then we should choose anarchy against civilization. 
because of getting as much as you can, the best as you can, to have as much pleasure as you can in your life, if that is your goal in life, then the way that people live just doesn't make any sense. Why should I obey the speed limit? I want to do what I want to do. But is this why and how we were created? Well, listen to Colossians 1.16. For in Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. God. That being that we know of as Yahweh, God. He is the single verse He is the single answer why all things are here and even how all things are here. All things were created by Him, through Him, and for Him. And this truth is told to us again in Romans 11, 33-36. Oh, that the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable and how are His judgments and how unfathomable is His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who was first given to him that it might be repaid to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And there, 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 now we have our purpose statement for all of creation. Finally, is revealed to us. And now, now, since we know sole deo gloria is the reason for all things, the glory of God alone, that's the reason for all things, then we can move back now to that first question. Since that sola is found in the Bible, sole deo gloria, we can then rely on Him for our answer to the question, is the Bible the life of the church? Well, what does God have to say about that sola, sola scriptura? We're told in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped, having been thoroughly equipped for every good work. We're told in John 1, 1 through 5, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. John 17, verse 17, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. God gave us the word in His Son. The physical incarnation uh, is called the Word. Jesus is called the Word. But He's also given us His Word in the Bible. And you can't separate one from the other. You can't say that Jesus is Lord and not at the same time say that you believe that the Bible is completely authoritative over all things that pertain to life in Him. And the same can't be said of any tradition. And all you have to do is read church history to see what happens to the church when it doesn't use sola scriptura as the basis for its life. 
In fact, it was the absence of Sola Scriptura which brought about the Reformation and the acknowledgement that Scripture is not just the primary source for the life and godliness, but the Sola, the singular source, the sole source for life and godliness. And the same is true for all that call themselves believers. And this should, this should make us afraid here. This should actually cause us to back up a couple of minutes. Do you, do you understand that all heresy, all heresy, every false religion, it all came from within the church? That Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Charles Finney, Judas Iscariot, they all came from within the church? And the single thing that evidenced, that evidenced in those men's lives, those people that started those false religions, the single thing, the single thing, and I want to point this out again, get this in your heart if you think that you do not need to be in the Word of God and allow the Word of God to be sovereign over your life. The single thing that was evidenced in these people's lives that proved that they were not of God was their unwillingness to be subject to the Word of God. Every one of them. But that's not true for those that are of Him. And this can never change. We can never grow past submission, grow past the Word, grow past the guardrails of Scripture. And the reason for this is found in that second sola that we just talked about. Sole Deo Gloria. The reason for all that is, is God. Which brings us to the, another sole. Sola Christos. Christ alone. And again, we must define what we mean here. Because there are oneness Pentecostals who are not Christian, who baptize people in the name of Jesus alone. And you're asking yourself, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong? I mean, they're baptizing, and they're baptizing in the name of Jesus. What's wrong with that? They deny that God is a triune being, as explained in the Bible. The Christian doctrine of the Trinity defines God. Just like we were saying that sola scriptura is not found in God, but it's implied in the Bible everywhere. The same thing of the Trinity is there. It's not written in the Bible, but it is shown to us everywhere. God is a triune being, and it defines, the Trinity defines God as being one God, existing in three co-equal, co-eternal, co-consubstantial divine persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons sharing one entity, one being. So what was Sola Christos about? It's about what Paul said, what he defined as reconciliation. Man has committed eternal, spiritual suicide when we committed, when we committed sin against God. We permanently, or irreparably, separated ourselves from the love of God. And there was nothing we could do about it. Nothing any human could do about it. Because the wages of sin is death. And Jesus is life. 
And you understand that anything outside of him is death. So those people that are walking around outside of Christ while they're still living, they truly are dead in their trespasses and sin. Even if they're producing carbon monoxide, they're dead. And that's the price that must be paid because God is holy, holy, holy. And hell, hell is a real place. And it is the eternal death that is the eternal punishment against an eternal God. And to make reconciliation with God, a perfect, holy person must be willing to make propitiation of himself, means that they must be willing to sacrifice themselves on behalf of those that cannot sacrifice themselves. To bring reconciliation with God, the perfect Son of Man, the perfect Son of God, he would have to give himself And he did so for the Father on behalf of those that the Father had given to him as his joy. And he is our reconciliation. God reconciling us to himself through himself, through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no one comes to me except through the Father, John 14, 6. The third sola, sola gratia, grace alone. The finished work of Jesus on the cross has no value for most people. Most people don't even think that it has any value for them either. And they're right. The propitiation of Christ, the reconciliation to God is specific in who it was made for. Christ did not die for the sins of all people for all time. Otherwise, there would be no other books besides the Lamb's book of life. Do you understand that? If Christ died for all sins, then all sins are paid for. All sins, even the sin of unbelief. Everybody gets a free ticket. His propitiation is specific for those that were chosen by him to be in him, through him. To them, those dead in their trespasses and sins people, to those people who had committed suicide and had made their hearts stone, the, the blood of Christ is applied to them. They are given a new heart. They are made alive in Christ. And this, this is the grace of God. God's riches in Christ's expense given to us. It's a free gift that we do nothing to obtain. But grace alone cannot bring about salvation. We need that fourth sola for the blood for the blood, for the blood of the lamb to be applied to us. Sola fide, faith alone. Our salvation must be faith driven. Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Like the beating heart of all humanity, faith is not of ourselves. It is given to us, and it is essential to life. By faith, we believe that he who has promised is able to perform that which he promised. Romans 4.21 For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not of yourself. It's a gift of God and not of works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2.8 and 9 
But understand that faith on its own has no merit before God. Because there's a lot of people, faith and belief, they're synonymous with each other. I believe, I have faith, means the same thing. There's a lot of people who believe lots of things. There's people today in our world who believe that they are the opposite sex of what they are. There are people today who actually believe that they're kittens and not humans. Faith in and of itself has no value. We can't stand before God justified because we have faith. Our faith must be built upon and completely anchored in Him. And the Him that our faith must be anchored in must be the real and true Him. And the reason for this is because that Him is the Him that God redeemed us by His blood that is revealed to us by grace in the scriptures and we are justified by faith without the works of the law Romans 3:28 We aren't saved by good works but we are saved for good works Ephesians 2:8 and 10 Knowledge of Christ through scripture Assent to these truths in our minds and our spirit. Wrought trust in our hearts. That characterizes what true faith is. And we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Galatians 2.20 But these four solas, they can't spin on their own outside of that fifth sola. They fall apart. They have no power. Because scripture without God, it's, oxy, it's oxymoronic. Faith without God, pointless. Grace without God is at best fleeting. And Jesus without God, that's a false religion. But they're all empowered by it. They're all held together. They all are spun on that last sola, that sole deo gloria. They need and must have that fifth sola to characterize true Christianity. Again, sole deo gloria for God the glory of God alone. And this, this must be the banner that, lie, that, that flies over the heads of all that claim Christ as their Savior. Saints, this must be the reason why you get up every single day. For the glory of God alone. If you wonder, why am I going to work today? No one appreciates me. My boss doesn't like me. My job is pointless. For the glory of God alone. Moms, man, day in, day out, I'm talking to a toddler. I just need some real adult interaction. What is the point of my life? For the glory of God alone alone. It's when we understand that this is why we were created, why we have been saved, why He has put us where He has put us. It is then, it is then that we can finally get to that place where we stopped questioning, what's the point of my life? And we can start understanding your life has meaning. Your life has value. Because Christ died for you. Sole Deo Gloria.
Let's pray.